Thank you, David. And good morning, everyone. My name's Simon, if I haven't had a chance to meet you before. And this morning, we are in Matthew 7. Uh, as a young girl, boy, uh, in Plowman Street, uh, I thought I'd play a prank on my brother. Uh, and I knew it was going to work because I saw it work on the movies. So I got the bucket of water, I put it above the bathroom uh, door, half open, and waited behind the door for my brother to walk through and have this whole bucket of water just fall all over him. Couldn't wait, I thought. And, and I actually thought, how considerate am I to set this up where the floor is tiled, right? Like it wasn't the bedroom or somewhere else. And anyway, what happened was, um, uh, you know, I suppose I thought everything was going to plan. I'm looking forward to it. And I hadn't uh, sort of factored in any other members of the family. And uh, uh, my father, he worked at uh, MAF, which is now Aboriginal Aircraft Maintenance Services. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, hot day, warm day. He went straight from the car out into the yard to do some gardening. He enjoyed gardening. And uh, I heard these footsteps, which were a bit heavier than my brother's footsteps, because he's my younger brother. And, uh, and I'm behind the door, just realised there's nothing I could do if this happens. And it happens in a split second, in less than a second. Nine litres of water on my father's head. He yells, I don't know what to do. <laughs> and uh, we had a laugh after the initial sort of fright and shock. But uh, if you can imagine for a second being my dad... And all of a sudden, the shock of having that water, bucket of water out of nowhere falling over you, that was a little bit how this passage uh, made me feel when I read it. So if you go to your Bibles, let's see if I can make this thing work. I can. Uh, let's have a read. Not everyone who says to me, this is Jesus speaking, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? In your name drive out demons. In your name perform many miracles. And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. This is a passage that forces us to pay attention, that cuts to the heart of what it really means to be a follower of Jesus, to know God and be in rela right relationship with him. Jesus, has, by saying this, has to some degree shocked us with the idea that you can know God's name and even minister and serve God and yet somehow not be known by him. This is Jesus affirming that the God who had the prophet Samuel line up the sons of Jesse and choose not the tallest, not the most handsome, not the most experienced, not the most intelligent, but rather the youngest and the least of the least is the same yesterday and today and forever. In 1 Samuel 16, 7... Oh, are we there? No, we're going back. 1 Samuel 16, 7... For the Lord does not see as man sees. The man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And you know, in this passage, we've got 
people doing things that are even, you know, from a worldly perspective, more amazing than things I've ever done in serving God, it would seem. But somehow Jesus, on that day, tells them that he does not know them. This is Jesus clearly articulating, it's not the quality of the bricks or the paint or the exterior finish, but the unseen foundation that really matters. What is going on in our heart of hearts? What is going on in our innermost thoughts? Are we connected and aligned to God? This is Jesus also clearly articulating the fact that at the end of the day, regardless of what standing we have within ourselves or with others, that ultimately he will be the judge. This is Jesus clearly reminding us the kingdom of God is different to the kingdom of the world. The king of the kingdom of God is interested primarily about what is going on in our heart. Our Father in heaven is a God who values relationship and is concerned with us knowing him. He wants a connection with you and I because of love. And God values knowing overdoing. I don't mean, we're not talking here about an intellectual theoretical knowing. We're talking about God valuing knowing you and you valuing knowing him. A knowing that is rooted in experience and expressed in the way that we act and conduct ourselves. You know, when I think uh, of this passage, uh, Jesus uh, earlier was talking to false prophets, but in the crowd on the Sermon of the Mount, everyone was there, uh, from all walks of life, from all ages. Uh, some of you, when you read this passage, it's very easy maybe to think of someone that you might know that in your judgment, might fit into this category. When I think of the Old Testament, I think you know King Saul is maybe a good example of this person, chosen by God, in so many ways knew God and knew about God, had all the religious knowledge, had all the documentation. He was anointed to be king. But so often with his sinful, went with his sinful instinct and pride rather than the heart and the mind of God. But God's heart is that our doing flows from our knowing of him. Mary and Martha in Luke 10. Martha, Martha, Jesus said, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen what is better. It will not be taken from her. Think the Last Supper. Jesus has got a very limited time left on earth. Time that maybe could have been used to heal some more people, to deliver some uh, other demon-possessed people, to preach the good news to another crowd. 
but he chose to sit with 12 disciples and have a meal and have fellowship. When you look at Jesus in a life, he was often going off to quiet places just to be with the Father. Gav reminded me this week too that ancient Jews had this uh, deeper understanding of what it means to know someone. There's this word, and uh, maybe I'll probably need Steve or David to pronounce it correctly. It reads like yada, but how, is that how you say it? Come on, Gav, yell it out. Oh, yeah. I can't hear it from you. Yell it so everyone can hear it. Yoda. Yoda. All right, we'll go with that. My Aussie accent. Anyway, 950 times in the Hebrew Bible. And this word, it's about knowing or know, it includes perceiving, learning, understanding, willing, performing and experiencing. So many of you here would already know this, but for a Jew to know something, you can't just know it. You, have, you only prove that you know it or you only acknowledge as knowing something when you can do it, when you can demonstrate it, when you can experience the reality of that. It's, it's the exercise of information and wisdom. And so there's something about when Jesus is saying, I never knew you, that the opposite in terms of if we think about what it means to know God, it is to experience him. It is to know his heart. It is to obey him. I remember in my teens, so I came to follow Christ when I was about 14. I would have been 16 or 17. And uh, a guy was sharing about his brother who had walked away from Jesus. And I kind of understood this in terms of uh, I'd seen a number of friends in high school come and make decisions to follow Jesus and then uh, over time uh, uh, not follow through or not persevere uh, in their walk with Jesus. The thing I struggled about though when this guy was sharing about his brother was that his brother had ministered a lot overseas. His brother had seen God do incredible miracles. His brother had seen uh, people delivered from demons, had seen uh, people healed on the spot. All wonderful, excellent, good things. There's no doubt, I think, in those moments that God was at work. And yet somehow his faith had grown cold and his heart had grown hard. And, And that still is a mystery to me. Um, many of you here, I would just encourage all of us, if we're going through uh, a season where unbelief is creeping in or a hardness of heart, is just to remind yourselves of those times when God really showed up. Because he is as real today as he was then. But of course, time goes on, things happen. And uh, things can become confusing. There's two... Uh, Parables I just want to touch on quickly. Uh, one, you know, the, the scattered seed. Uh, 
All of these seeds, they do make a start in new life with God. Like they're all at the starting line and they all start the race. But only one produces fruit. And then Jesus in Matthew 21, 28, and I think that's the next slide, so let's have a look. So it is. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and he said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. And then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but did not go. Jesus asked, which of the two did what his father wanted? I suppose the reason we're looking at this parable is because in our uh, reading today, in verse 21, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom, kingdom of heaven, but they who do the will of my Father in heaven. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. So Jesus, he makes it clear that only those that do the will of the Father will enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus lived this out. Many followers of Jesus have lived this out. There's many in this room living it out. Children can live this out. Tax collectors and prostitutes and murderers have worked it out. So let's just ask for a few minutes now, how do we? How do we? And check in. Knowing God, yada in God, sorry, yuda in God. <laughs> in the true sense, overflows into doing the will of the Father. God has not set this up to be complicated or tricky. God isn't like that. Even children can do this. But, as an adult, I will say, but adults can forget. And it also doesn't mean that it is so easy that everyone will succeed. In Philippians 2.12, it says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence but much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So I suppose the point that I'm coming to is that obedience is really important that uh, I have spent seasons of my walk with God sometimes creating distance in my mind between the value of obedience and the ability to have a relationship with God because of his great grace. And we'll explore that in a minute. But the helpful thing for me, having to reflect more deeply than usual on this passage, was a clear and simple reminder that obedience really matters. That our obedience is not the foundation for our salvation. Jesus is. Jesus' work on the cross and his resurrection is. 
In John 6, it does, Jesus was clear, he said, the work of God is to believe in the one whom he has sent. But having said that, obviously our obedience to God is directly related to whether we are trusting him. Truly. Our obedience to God is evidence of whether or not we are expressing love to him. Truly. Or in a straight way, if I could use that terminology. And what makes obedience hard is the trust part. Our culture, our flesh, our instincts, our pride want to be in control. Obedience, big and small, takes trusting and surrendering. Over and over and over and over with all the strength we have. As I was writing this, I was thinking, am I allowed to put that? And I am putting it. <laughs> God has given you as a human being, as, a part, as being someone who is created in the image of God, a will and power and agency. And yes, it's limited compared to what God has, but we all have something to contribute. We all have strength and focus and effort that we can contribute so let me say it, with all the strength that we have and with God being our strength, where the limit of that is and when we are weak. I can't remember if it was John or Ian last week, this idea of the Christian walk being a long obedience in the same direction. I think that's a really helpful thought. If we want to be people who... Do the Father's will. Think of it a bit like holding your breath for more than three minutes. What does that mean? <laughs> Let me explain. <laughs> Stay with me. Believe it or not, almost anyone can hold their breath for three minutes. But most people don't. So biologically, you can do this and you probably won't pass out, you probably won't die. However, very few people do hold their breath for three minutes because you have to train yourself against your instinct. So what happens is you hold your breath, carbon dioxide builds up and it creates these muscular contractions which force you to want to <gasps> gasp for breath. I have not yet mastered the three-minute breath hold but I have increased from about 45 seconds up to 2 minutes and 35, so I'm on my way. The first time you have one of those contractions where you desperately feel like you must breathe or you will die, that's how you feel, you're about halfway through your maximum breath hold. And to get to your maximum breath hold, you have to go through that discomfort about 8 times. And I'm not there yet. But I have at least acknowledged, not to panic, when everything else in my body is telling me to panic and just keep the mouth shut. <laughs> Hold the breath a bit longer. I'm just not quite at three minutes yet. Anyway, why am I saying this? I'm saying this because with obedience, surrender and practice are necessary to override that instinct in us that wants to control, that instinct in us that wants to be in the driver's seat that instinct in us that somehow, like mysteriously, and I always laugh at myself when I 
remind myself of this. Like so often we act in a way that says to God, like we'd never say this to God, but I know I've done it. I've acted in a way that says to God, God, I know that you are the eternal creator with all wisdom, power, might and love and strength and the list could just go on. But just this time, God, in my wisdom, power, experience, knowledge uh, and any other, you know, that's about as long as the list goes, I suppose. Uh, athletic prowess, <laughs> that's useless for basically. Um, uh, God, I'm going to do this. I'll take this one. I'm going to do it my way, actually. I think I'm better off. I think I'm safer. I think I'm more secure. I think I'm more well off in the long term in terms of where I think I want it, my life ahead. I've got this, God. Like, can you believe it? We would never say that to God, but we act, I know I act like that from time to time. So that instinct, we need to be aware of it and trust and surrender. So, what have we got next? Great. All right, I hope this makes sense to you. Half the people in this room will go, you've got to be kidding me, not a graph. Or a... And the other half is going, hey, a graph, I could get around this. All right. So this is for the graphy people, for the teachers in the room. But I think, I think it's as simple as this. So that... Arc is what uh, was being talked about last week, that long, uh, slow, consistent obedience in the same direction. Uh, and then there's just all these trust and obey steps. Trust and obey, trust and obey. It doesn't really get more exciting or different except that over time God asks us to trust him more and obey him in areas that we never thought were important. Um, I'm so sorry if you've heard this story before. I'll tell it real quickly. But it took like 16 years of marriage before God just gently put his finger and said, Simon, uh, it was during a Bible study thing, uh, 1 Peter 2, Simon, being considerate to your wife means slowing down around those corners. Like, why, why, didn't I, why didn't God, why didn't say God, why didn't God confront me with that? Like before marriage, we would have been much happier for 16 years. But at the 16-year mark, God says, Simon, trust me in this and obey. And we have been a lot happier since. I still go fast sometimes, but when I go fast and Hale says, you're going too fast, I immediately like take my foot off the accelerator and just go, yeah, no worries, slowing down. Sorry. So much better. Like... Um, a little, just a real little thing, which is a silly thing. Um, uh, I love to run. And, and I was getting, uh, you know, just attention from mates and stuff for all my running. And then I'm in church one day and the pastor's talking about the kingdom of Babylon versus the kingdom of the world. Oh, that's so much better. Thank you. And, um, and, and anyway, long story short, it's like the spirit just whispers, hey, how is your Strava feed? pointing to me. seems to be doing a lot of pointing to you, Simon. And I don't think that was the tone, but the tone was just like, hey, where's all this pointing? 
And so now I do just always religiously put a Bible reference on my Strava feed. And if someone's going to look it up, they'll look it up. But it has led to a lot of conversations because people at least clearly know, hey, you know, he obviously loves to run, but there's, what's, what's with the Bible thing? You know? So sometimes things are little things. And then there's things like, and I don't want to, not to put anyone on a pedestal, but Phil and Jenny you know, have uprooted their whole lives. First, to move to Nepal, and now they're uprooting it all again to move back home for this season. And uh, there's others in this room, a lot of us in Alice, who you've uprooted your life from wherever you came from to be here. And there's many here who've been here not just for all of your life, but there's been hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years of people before you who've lived in Central Australia and you're trusting God in the big and the small things every day. But I I just don't think it gets more complicated than this. Trust, obey, trust, obey. And then this happens. So we repent, which is another step of obedience, and we keep on going. We keep trudging on. Um, You know, when you think of uh, the thief on the cross next to Jesus, who moments before his death trusted and obeyed and was entering into paradise, known by Jesus. Uh, We've heard already uh, about the tax collectors and the prostitutes trusting and obeying. And in that moment, known by Jesus. And then you contrast that for a moment, contrast that with Moses, Joshua, Ruth, Daniel, David or Mary who spent decades of their life walking with God, doing something like this. Was every day a 10 out of 10? No way. Like David had a minus 10 uh, month or two, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like there was some big falls. But the orientation of their heart and their lives was towards God. They knew God in a special way because of their obedience as well as their experience of God's grace and mercy. So let's wrap some stuff up. Oh, no. There we are. (laughs) Very good. That was from the previous template. Should have double-checked. All right. Obedience to the written word. So if we're going to carry out the will of the Father, I think first base is obedience to the written word. There is a love letter here that we all should read and read again and just soak in it. And if it's in there, let's just obey it. Like it's in there. There is not, there is not a letter in there in the word of God that is not purposed by God to be there. And so my encouragement is if it's in there, big or small, let's obey it. The call is to obey it. First first uh, thing there. Obedience to God's promptings. An amazing thing is that God is alive and active. Like Jesus is risen. The Spirit is at work in this age of the church until his return in a way that is unique for this age. Easy to forget, easy even to take for granted. But God's Spirit wants to speak into your life 
in a very personal way, also in big and small things. And my encouragement to you is that when he prompts you in big or small things, that we trust and obey also. You cannot write in the Bible, uh, move to Nepabana. All right? But that was something that years ago, God just seemed like was clearly spoken, didn't know how that was going to happen, and four months later we were there, living there. It was an absolute miracle. And there would be so many stories across this room, and I know there is across the kingdom of God, where there's just been little, simple promptings that you have followed and trusted and obeyed God in, and God has done good stuff. Just the other day, a good mate of mine, Kale, gave me a call about a mate of ours who's going through a tough time. You know, what a wonderful example. The love of God in Kale for this guy says, hey, we should do something. And so he calls me and said, hey, have you checked in lately with so-and-so? I hadn't. You know, but that enabled an opportunity to meet and catch up and you know, bless this guy, right? The big things, the little things. Who is it that God's asking you to speak to? Who is it that God's asking you to give a gift or send a card or encourage a little bit or anything like that? Let's follow those promptings. Because in doing so, we get to know God. We get to know but know but know in a very special way. And, and lastly, I'll just say time with God. Jesus did it. Daniel did it. David did it. Moses did it. Paul, I'm sure, did it. <laughs> it seems that most people who are being used by God are spending some time regularly with God. Not complicated, but let's spend time in his word, just praying, just sitting going for a walk with God. It's pretty cool. You can go for a walk with God. You can go mountain biking with God. You can sit on a rock with God. You can go for a swim with God. Whatever it is, let's involve God and just be listening and open our hearts to him. Cool. If there is disobedience, well, let's just go back to that for five seconds. If there is a season or a wrestle going on right now and we're just doing great at disobedience. My quick encouragement to you is, is that is a hint that something is not right in our heart or mind. Like, it is a major concern. It's not like a little thing. I've often brushed off little disobedience. But it's not a little thing. It's a serious thing. It's an important thing. Uh, some level of unbelief is creeping into our lives when we get comfortable with disobedience. God does know us. He wants to strengthen and deliver us from disobedience. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So now, in this moment, I'll just read the passage once more and then I'll pray. And... Uh, Go from there. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, 
Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father God, thank you for these words of Jesus. And we do come before you this morning as your children and say, Lord, Lord, you know us. We want to know you more. We surrender our lives afresh and we ask you to lead us in your will. We would love to be used by you to do great things, but above all, God, help us to know you more and walk in your will. Amen.